Welcome to Track Nerds. With me today is Hunter Veith, the Wichita State University record holder in the decathlon, which I only mention because we are going to focus first on the track and field side of Track Nerds, but I'm sure we will also get into travel and movies and the other things we, we like to talk about here. So, Hunter, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. So, what I really wanted to get into, and I didn't tell you this ahead of time exactly, but so. I was there for the beginnings of your track and field career, uh, seeing you a little bit as, as a middle schooler and then, of course, uh, coaching you at the high school level. But I, what I would really like to hear is this whole journey you went on as a track and field athlete from your point of view, from kind of growing up and what kind of got you into sports in the first place, then out for track, and then as you transitioned from middle school, high school, and into the collegiate level, just basically break it down for me. Wow, that's a that's a loaded question there. No, it, hey, if it takes half an hour, we will take half an hour. <laughs> um, well, where did my track and field career start? I suppose middle school was when I first started track and field. I don't recall doing anything before that, um, although people do in clubs and things like that. But I didn't do anything like that, probably because I wasn't worried about track and field. I was a baseball guy in and out. I mean, I went to all kinds of clinics and stuff like that. And baseball was the long run is what I thought. So middle school starts and that's when I started track. And the reason I started was I saw the end of baseball. Um, we didn't have high school baseball at Cheney, obviously, at the time. Now we right. do. And so I started thinking about a replacement, I guess. I didn't know how to not play a sport. <laughs> So if baseball was ending, I needed to pick up something. And I think track and field was that thing. Middle school, I, I don't know. I guess I got my first taste of what I could be as an athlete. I didn't do anything really spectacular, but I learned how much fun it was to jump. Uh, that was the one thing I learned. I still did the mile, I believe, if I remember correctly, but I don't think I was any good. So middle school, that's middle school. I didn't really see a future yet in track and field. I mean, I wasn't that great. Well, no one really does in, in eighth grade. So <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But you still hear some crazy high school performances <laughs> in middle school. True, or, I mean, true. middle school performances. I think I heard something about a middle school girl running under 60 seconds in the 400. Yeah, it happens. A couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. So <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but I was not that. I didn't even run under 60 seconds in high school. I'm not sure. In high school, in the 400. So beginning high school, freshman year, I guess I wasn't much of anything either. I think I jumped 6'2 in high jump. And maybe I got a taste a little bit of the high jump, but I that was still not my main concern. Triple jump was my best. I made the regional meet, of course, and we went to Andale and jumped 43 feet, which I thought was nuts and won that meet in the triple jump and that was the only event i qualified to state in freshman year what you may not remember from that day coach yost was there and i was talking to her about you as a freshman at that andale regional so that was probably one of the first times you were on her radar i i yeah i would not have remembered that <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny i wonder who she was there for <laughs> I think just I think just recruiting in general and just yeah. you know, just kind of that was the meet she chose to go to. But uh, yeah. yeah, I we were she was kind of I was over there by the triple jump and kind of pointing you out and telling you a freshman just won the regional and all that and 
yeah, she kept her eye on you. <laughs> huh. Well, I guess on that note, it would be very shortly after that that I started doing the jump camps, I would assume. Probably even that summer, maybe, or the winter. It yeah, probably. Yeah. So I only got to know Coach Yost even more. <laughs> um, so that was kind of my freshman year. I mean, I went to state, and I think I got on the podium. I'm not very, I've done so much track and field, I don't tend to remember every detail. But. Oh, right, right. So that was freshman year. Sophomore year ended pretty quickly. Um, right. Conway Springs, I think I finally called it quick because my back was hurting so bad uh, after the high jump. I think I ended up jumping after that, but went in, stress fracture in the back, and that was that was the end of the sophomore year. Junior year, I think I got the first taste that I could be good at track and field, but I wasn't good at track and field, I don't think. I did somehow pull out six foot nine at Heston mm-hmm. in the high jump. I don't know where that came from because I don't think if I remember correctly, six four was the highest I've jumped before then. Possibly. It might have been six two. Wow. I would have to go back and look, but I'm I know I did not jump over six four. So I actually used that story of your school record in the high jump all the time with athletes because there there I have a couple theories on that. And <laughs> Uh, you're like, of course I do. So I, I think this is an important lesson for like, that just covers a lot of things. So the, the two things were obviously just, you were physically fresh. You hadn't high jumped in a meet in over a year. And uh, I think a, a lot of jumpers, especially high jumpers tend to over jump and they just want to always jump over the bar as high as they can in practice. And I think it just kind of wear you out. So you came in completely fresh, but I think more important than that, is the psychological factor of you going into that meet with zero expectations about how you would do. You just wanted to perform and get through the high jump competition and weren't concerned with, you know, if I cleared 510, that's fine. I just want to feel good and finish the competition. Sure. That concept that you have actually, high jump specifically, ran all the way through my college career. I think my best high jumps were after a month off of not even practicing high jump. I don't know what it was specifically about high jump. Now, it probably happened in other events too, but for some reason, high jump, the more rest I took, and I think it was a mental thing. It was mental rest. Right, true. And coming back from the mental thing of high jump, I think can screw up guys really fast. At least for me, I know it did. And every time I'd have a good high jump, it was because I hadn't high jumped for a month before, Hmm. which can be quite frustrating for coaches. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd be curious. I'd be curious. I guess I didn't really see that as something necessarily unique to you. I guess I would think Rainbow would be encountering that as a common phenomenon, a common phenomenon among high jumpers. And you would say not necessarily. I would say not necessarily. Huh. I would I would say there were several days where Rainbow would recognize that. I had the best performances after taking a break and he would say, don't do anything, maybe do some drills and get out of here. The, the harder we work on the high jump, the more mentally you become blocked, I guess. Right, right. And with my hump, I'm with my, you know, I had, you know, three high jumpers go to state this year and my approach with them. And, and again, I almost think it frustrated them at some point was I was trying to get them to think less like, I think they want this big, quick fix of how do I high jump better? And what, what do I need to do to break everything down? And, and I just think, 
I just, I almost, it was a joke by the end of the season. It's like, uh, run fast and stick with the lean and jump yeah. up. Like, yeah. they, they were looking for, like, what over the bar? It's like, none of that matters if you're jumping toward the bar at takeoff. It doesn't matter what your hips are doing if you're jumping towards the bar at takeoff. So I was just trying to make everything super, super simple, almost yeah. to, it became almost a joke with them. But uh, we had a good high jump season. So it, I think there's something to it. I, I, would totally agree. And with high jump, I think the thinking, when you're overthinking, you're thinking about trying to get over the bar. Yes. If you would just worry about getting off the ground yep. in the right position, that's where the thinking ends. You need yep. to be worried about the takeoff and not getting over the bar. Yep. And I don't yep. think I ever mastered that by no means. Oh, I think few high jumpers probably do. Thinking, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It's tough. <laughs> Okay, uh, so finishing up junior year of high school. Junior year of high school, <laughs> man i I think I went to I went to state, but do I need to recap everything for you? <laughs> yeah, this is bad, isn't it? <laughs> okay, well, yeah, yeah, this is fine. I was just curious to get things from your perspective, and maybe that needs to happen more at the college side because <laughs> I wasn't there. So, no, junior year was when you didn't make it to state and triple jump. Ah, uh, okay, it's coming back. Because you uh, you were doing right. you were doing four field events for the first time and uh, triple jump was last and you came over and your mark was off and ended up not making finals. And I, Coach Yost was there. Oh, that's right, she was. Me down. Yeah, yep. Again, the psychological side of things to some extent. Yeah, I would I would say there was lots of psychological things going on there. Hmm. So I made it in long jump. I know that. Correct. And I'm assuming I made it in high jump. Yes, you had made you had made high and long, and then you just missed jab because you were still coming around and javelin was your first year doing it. And I think you got like fifth or sixth at regional with like you know one fifty something, a decent throw, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then came over triple jump your last event and hopefully your best event, and it didn't didn't go that well. Yeah, yeah, still think of that one weekly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you hadn't redeemed yourself in so many ways, I think it would be uh, hard to get over maybe. <laughs> What I also don't, what I also remember that you may not remember is your parents were now they weren't mad at any one person, but they were adamant that the javelin needed to stop. That javelin was the problem. We're done with javelin. I think was even a direct quote from one of your parents at while well, at Circle. Well, now that you say that, I remember my dad saying that at the track meet and off the track meet, probably mm. that there had to be a reason that that happened. Oh, right, right, right. But that reason was not javelin. That reason was my brain. <laughs> and that was my belief, but I wasn't going to have that discussion with him <laughs> right, sure. after, right sure. after you didn't qualify. And we never really did have that conversation. I just put you right back into javelin senior year, and they did never say anything. Yeah, take nine months rest yes, and forget yes, about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, and then you did win long jump junior year, so you got your first state title there. And then heading into senior year, what do you remember? Senior year, well, I remember that one quite a bit more. Well, and we probably put the the javelin thing to rest at Clearwater, the opening meet. Okay. Um, I won the javelin, but I think I threw 170 feet, which was way better than right, last right, like year. a 15 foot PR and already a state placing throw, right? Yeah, and the joke going, I say joke, it wasn't really a joke, but 
they picked up on the seven twenty five fifty, which was like my senior goals. Oh, right, right. That I threw up there. Yeah. And then after that meet, it was seven twenty five fifty two hundred. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't hit. Any, I don't. Uh, I didn't hit any of those. <laughs> no, but at the same time, I, I, I think I like that though. I, I, I think because I feel like for, as for myself, I think in high school I set my goals too low, and then once I hit them, I just kind of like went through the motions the rest of the way. So I almost it's the whole shoot for the stars thing, right? I think absolutely. Yeah, it's not like you were disappointed with only going forty-seven seven no. in the triple yeah, jump. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I do believe in setting goals higher than you think you can achieve. Yes. I think goals should be hard. I like I don't like a goal that's easily attainable. Right. And I think we've geared too much of it. And I get the idea if you never reach any goals that that's demoralizing and but but I think we've over-adjusted and you should either have tiers of goals. I'm just thinking of like just how you approach, you know, with little kids and stuff, just, you know, about, you know, their outlook on the world and you you want things to be tough. Sure, absolutely. We'll get to the college, but I think the toughness of college is a big reason that I was able to be successful and get better just because you saw that level wherever you went in a college meet in the college atmosphere. You saw guys that were elite, right? I mean, you high school and I don't mean to put high school down, but I never met guys that were extremely better than me. And I say that in terms of like, for me, thinking of the decathlon, where those guys I was seeing that were extremely good were not decathlon guys. They were into, you know, individual events. Yes, they were elite. They were elite at one event. Yeah. In one event. But I think that was a huge, that's awesome to have to push you. And I think that, you know, setting those goals and you could see that it's attainable. I, I think that was good. Okay. Okay. Sorry. So sorry. Uh, f- uh, finishing up senior year before we get full into college. Senior yeah. year went about as good as a guy could ask. Four golds at regionals. I always think about that one. Oh, that's right. The, you beat the guys that ended up going first, second, and state in the jab. You beat them at regional. Yeah. And I think of as redemption of the year before. Like when I always compare my high school, I think of the regional no marking. Right. And then coming back, that's always a thing I think about. Um, so four golds. All four events started at the exact same time at the regional meet. Huh. Four events, all at the starting, you know, starting time. That was fun running back and forth. Um, go to state. I win long jump and triple jump day one. Right. I was leading the state meet by myself after day one. Oh, I was the only one to <laughs> score. I Two golds, 20 points. <laughs> of course, the running events finished the next day. And right, right. Down, but that, yeah, I forgot <laughs> that about was, that. Yeah, we would have been in the lead on after Friday, huh? Yeah. yeah. And then day two, I had high jump and jab, both of which were at the same exact time. One was in the stadium, one was out the stadium. Oh, right. And so there, I think there was a mental thing there and ended up not throwing great. And I, don't, I didn't high jump great. I never high jump grade a state meet. I don't know what the deal was there, but ended up getting third in both those. It's just a, it's just a harder a uh, venue or situation to replicate because it's just, we don't high jump anywhere that's like high jumping at the state meet. Yeah, even and even pre state's yeah. enough different. And uh, I tried with my high jumpers this year. I did try to as we kind of progress through the season, I would try to basically stay away from them. Because, hey, I'm not going to be able to be there at state, so yeah, I shouldn't yeah. be there at regional or league either, should I? 
and yeah. it's kind of it was kind of frustrating for both parties. But and, and that's even just part of it. Just it's just a different kind of layout the way they do it at state there. And then of course with having the stress of crap, I got to get my javelin in too. Yeah, and you got shoes. That's always oh, fun. Right, Switching right. shoes, running back and forth. Right. But who would have guessed that I would get third in the javelin in high school? I, no one would have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was awesome. I mean, I say I'm disappointed, but third in the javelin was pretty darn cool to me. Right. Looking back at it now. Well, it was, we just kind of always went through that with you of what was your fourth event? Because you were a jumper from day one freshman yeah. year, all three jumps, no brainer. But we spent a long time figuring out what your fourth event should be. And you weren't even fast enough to make the relays yeah. until <laughs> senior year. And then you, run these, <laughs> then you run these times you did in college. And the other note I made here real quick is you're talking about going around to all the different events, or specifically at regional, where you got the four goals with all four events starting at the exact same time. My note I wrote just now was thriving on chaos and i think that's always been a strength of yours not just on the on the track and field though i think you kind of because you kind of got the engineer brain too i think you just kind of all, all the million problems coming at you all at the same time and you're like all right how are we going to get out of this and you figure it out and i think there's something to that and maybe how that led to your success in the decathlon so here's my take on that the chaos was something i think it benefited me because it was a distraction Oh, I can't worry about the jump because, yeah. The mental game coming, and you're doing one event. No, it was. Oh. And then the decathlon, it's one event. Okay, true, I'm changing shoes. I'm getting warmed up for the second event. And you were worried much about getting to the next event and getting ready that you forgot to freak out. You forgot to get nervous. Oh, there was, there was the, 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 the process. Yeah, the process kept you so busy. Yeah, yeah. So let's actually look specifically at, I guess, the transition of maybe you know choosing Wichita State and then getting into not just being a jumper, but the idea of becoming a decathlete. Okay, so we could start with how I chose Wichita State, and that is about as easy as it gets. Uh, with the jump camps and everything like that, I was getting the taste of Wichita State for years coming up to that and i'm gonna say the main reason was probably coach yost her way of communicating coaching was perfect for who i was as an athlete just a great personality fit between the two of you oh absolutely and she's and it's not just a coach she was able to be a person too and i think that's what i needed as a jump coach not that i didn't have it in high school but going to the next level i wanted that's no, what right, I right. You had a good rapport with Coach Hague at the high school level as well. But yeah, you Absolutely. wanted to make sure you had Absolutely. that at the collegiate level. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the main reason I chose Wichita State. And I guess we'll just jump into freshman year. For the first time, track and field was the first priority. Um, in high school, it was a high school sport. It lasted a couple months and it was over with. And you didn't really worry too much <laughs> You didn't stress about it because it came and went so fast. And then you right. go to college and it's your job. I found it as my job. Not everyone sees that, but it was my job. I was getting a scholarship and it was my job to earn that scholarship. And that was one of the, I think, a huge motivator of mine is the scholarship alone. So I, I arrived at WCU, not that it was far, but it was separated from everything I knew. I didn't have my parents there. You know, I was in a totally different atmosphere where I could purely concentrate on track and field. 
and then you throw in a collegiate level sport and it's that's a whole different ball game too i mean i went from pretty quick practices in high school in and out hour hour and a half and then we hit the ball ro- rolling at wcu with we could be there for four five hours on oh, days wow. and mainly in the beginning that was because i didn't know very many events i knew some of them i was a jumper but i didn't know how to sprint as we found out in high school it was <laughs> obvious i didn't know how to throw the shot put the discus i didn't know how to pole vault and so that first probably two years of the decathlon was learning i've always loved to learn i've always like to get better and then i think that's why i fell in love with track and that's when i I fell in love with track and field was when I was so into it. It was a, it was a job and it was not just a spring sport. So, so they had you working decathlon from basically the first day of practice. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. From the beginning, I think there was the high possibility of decathlon and you do it individual events like that was, but that never disappeared that I was still, going to be a full-time jumper when it came to meets and conference meets and things like that oh gotcha which is i'm gonna say is very rare for the average decathlon guy right usually usually you're kind of just decathlon and they don't expect you to be able to score points at individual events right it's it's such a huge it's 10 events it's so huge right that it's just not possible typically for a guy to the saying is that a decathlon guy is not good at anything, but he's mediocre in everything. Which makes you good at the decathlon, right. <laughs> which makes you good at the decathlon. So usually the average guy, I guess, does not worry about individual events. And I think the concentration for me in individual events kept going throughout. Now, as I got better and the decathlon became something that, we saw that I was going to be good at the, that the national level, the individual events were pushed to the side a little bit. Cause you weren't nationally ranked in those events, right? No, no, it was obvious the route I was going to the Cathlon was going to be my best route to be successful. So it was interesting to see throughout the five years, how the priority went. So I'd say freshman year, I was considered an individual event guy that did a decathlon. And by the end, I was a decathlon guy that did individual events also. Gotcha. And, then, and that makes sense. Basically, just where you can score the most points at conference. And those, those kind of shifted. I don't know if it's exactly that. I would say it's more the decathlon was what I was the best at. Right. And when we went to meets, we were preparing for the decathlon. And if that meant we had to get rid of individual events, that's what we did to rest or do what train or whatever for the decathlon. Right. And what, and one thing that they probably, and Yost would probably testify to this that got sacrificed is you never hit 50 foot in the triple jump because you never got to focus on the triple jump again. <laughs> I bet I triple jumped throughout my college career. I bet less than 10 times. Right. When it was your best event in high school. So just to kind of think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Best event. Yeah. But in the end, I ended up picking it up a little bit. I went like 49.8 or 49.10 or something. (laughs) And I didn't realize that. Yeah, I know. I know. I did that at a conference meet, and I said, am I going to do triple jump at conference meet? And 
Bolt or Rainbolt was like, "You well, you haven't practiced at all." I'm like, "Well, I could at least try it. It's like the last event of the whole entire meet mm. as far as field events." I'm like, "I might as well give it a go." And that's, I guess, when I do best. There again, haven't practiced mentally. No expectations. At a point, yeah. No expectations, and then <laughs> that happens. So I guess something we could talk about is like how the decathlon was to me throughout my five years. Yes, absolutely. Because if you told me I would be a national contender my freshman year, I wouldn't believe you. My sophomore year, I wouldn't believe you. Now, let's see. Junior year, no. Sophomore year blew out my elbow at the end of the year. Right. So there was no thought. I don't even think I had a decathlon that even came close to even thinking about looking at the list of the decathlon guys in the nation. So junior rolls around and then I'm at this big reset where I blew out my elbow, have surgery. And I think then is where I really caught on to the work ethic that I developed that led me to where I got. In in the rehab from surgery? In the rehab, I found myself at ground zero where, you know, I had so far to go and I saw all my teammates getting better. And I knew I wanted, I spent so many hours in rehab and somewhere along the line, I caught something that I knew that I figured out how to train effectively. And so I think that began my road to where I got. And then, so that was junior year. I scored 7,300 points plus or minus with a left-handed javelin throw. Oh my gosh. And 24. Four guys make it to the national meet, and I ended up becoming, I think, 28th in the nation with a left-handed javelin throw. And then again, that's just building on the fire. Like, I think I got a taste, like, for the first time. Right, you're like, if I could just throw the darn thing with my right hand. <laughs> yeah, and but what was cool was, I was like, I just did this with my left hand. What's going to happen the next year when I can throw with my right hand? Exactly. And so that was building on everything, too. So all this hard work, building from the elbow, rolling into my fourth year, uh, I s- finally started to figure things out. And let's see, scored 7,800, something like that, I believe. 7,600. And, and you did get the school record that year initially, right? Was that the first year you got the school record? I don't remember what Bonner was. <sighs> yes. I believe I did get just the decathlon. I didn't get the HEP. Okay. Okay. Fourth year, but I did get my first taste of nationals in the decathlon my fourth year. So technically junior year. And that was a big, I think that built on the fire too, to, you know, to go to (laughs) Oregon is a crazy place. And I don't know if it'll ever be the same. All right. They just, they're just, uh, they're rebuilding it, right? Yeah. Brand new stadium. I don't know. Like I didn't know that much about Oregon. You know, the only taste I had is you during cross country season sitting us in a room and we watched Prefontaine. <laughs> I think that was my knowledge of Oregon. Okay. You show up at that place and you know immediately what's what's going on. That's uh it's a special place. Right. Well, it's Tracktown USA as they advertise themselves. Tracktown USA. And even me not knowing all that much about Tracktown USA, it you walk onto that field and you knew something special was hmm. going to happen there. It, it was cool. Um, so I, I 
stumbled my way through that meet. It was an okay meet. I mean, you got six at nationals. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but at that point, I was I was never satisfied. I suppose. <laughs> oh, well, oh, and I it, well, and I ended up being there the second day, and yeah, we all knew there was you left points on the table that you got six at national and left plenty of points on the table. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're just building this fire. Let's keep going. But I think it's important to. It was a very good thing to get a rep in at the at that meet to kind of figure out the atmosphere because the atmosphere is 100% different than any other meet in the world. Yes. You are led from one event to another. You can't leave anywhere. Oh, huh. I mean, they check your bags daily for whatever reason. I don't have any idea. But you had a warm-up field and you had to stay on that warm-up field until it was your turn to go to the event. And it's different. It's not relaxed like mm. a track meet can be thought of. You know, right. oh, I'm an hour out. I'm an hour and a half out. Better start warming up. It was like you were being led everywhere. So sixth place, like you said, I get. <laughs> a point out of fifth, if I remember I, right. Yeah. One point. Ate it pretty hard in the 1500. That was an eye opener there. I think that was the biggest thing coming out of that year was to realize that I sucked at that freaking 1500 <laughs> and the thousand. I think we had several conversations about why. Yeah, we've talked about it before. Yeah. Or yeah. what was up. So going into senior years, fresh, I was, I would say senior year, coming out of my junior year, going into my senior year was about as healthy as I ever got. And so starting a senior year, extremely healthy was about as good as I could get it. I've gone through my, my share of injuries. So I, <laughs> I hit the, hit the road running indoor what is the meet inner squad meet scored in the hep just like two or three points short shy of six thousand that's right you were basically national rank nationally ranked or like top two right after like before christmas yeah a month before christmas i was first in the nation and i don't think that got broke till two or three weeks after the first of the year so i went from a guy that got a taste of the national meet got on the podium to holy cow i'm in the running for the top of the podium. Right. And that was so exciting. The grinding stopped. It was five years of all that training came up to that point. And now I was in the best shape I've ever been in. I was the best I'd been in technically in all the events. I learned all the events for the most part. And Bolt sat me down after that inner squad meet and said, you're ready. Now let's get you fresh to the important meets. And so it was it was hard for me to not do a whole lot. Oh, right. He basically wanted to hold you back and just keep you sharp. He said, you are exactly where you need to be physically. Now let's just sharpen some things here and there and let's get you to the meets. Let's get you with the big dogs. And that's what I did. So I didn't do another HEP indoor my senior year. I was ranked second all the way to the meet, the national meet. Go to nationals. That would be my second HEP hmm. of the year, which is not extremely uncommon. No, right. Yeah. For the, right. For the multi, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's also guys that'll do five or six that oh, are nuts. Man. But that, I was way too fragile of a guy to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and Bolt knew that. And I think that's why he pulled me out of a lot of stuff to keep me. And bubble wrap. (laughs) 
national meet. I think every event went my way. Senior year, I was battling a pretty good ankle problem. And high jump was the biggest concern. I had not high jumped very well or very many times. And here we go again on high jump. I go into that meet. I probably didn't high jump, but once between that inner squad meet and the national meet, probably once. I probably practiced once. And then I go, and that's the one we were worried about. Was the ankle going to hold up? Was I going to be able to jump high? And I did. I jumped pretty darn good. Uh, I think I jumped 6'8 or 6'9, which was best for the year, I think, indoor. And so it was that indoor meet was all depending on that high jump. We weren't worried about the 60. Like when I was on the starting blocks of the 60, the first event, I was not thinking about the 60. The whole concentration was high jump. And so when I get through high jump with a good event, it was free flow on after that. I had a great hurdle race, pole vaulted pretty darn well. And then I think it was my best mid-distance race of my career was that thousand. I've never been good at running even or even negative. And I think I ran negative on that last lap. Oh, wow. Because I knew I had to. And so going into the thousand, I was in second by a pretty good am- amount. But for year four, pulled a groin in that thousand and lost the national meet because he had to walk the rest of the thousand. Oh. So we were actually... <laughs> yeah, poor guy. He right. had his ups and downs too. But I went to that thousand behind by at least a hundred points, two hundred points maybe. I don't remember. It was a lot. But we were thinking, if this guy <laughs> injures himself again, what do I need to run to beat him? So we were thinking about like I had to run every second that I could, right? Because you just never know. Just in case, I was just in case. Well, he didn't. He jogged his way through for a pretty slow time, but enough to keep it enough to hold you off. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, that guy was so good. Great Britain. I think he was from great Britain, but I was a little nervous going into outdoor because I knew, I think he was better outdoors. Oh, gotcha. He, he was going to be even tougher than in the, in the decathlon. Yeah. Yeah. I was worried that was my opportunity to beat him. But as it turned out, went to going into outdoors, I do a decathlon, Less than a month later, after that national meet, score 8,000 points, running solely on the fitness that I had from indoor, which guys that have ran indoor and outdoor know that that's completely different. You're in a completely different shape for outdoor than you are for indoor, with the four, 400 mainly. Oh, true. And then you go from seven events to 10 events, and, that, and then that's just a huge deal, too. Um, so I scored 8,000 points right off my winter training and I go, what the heck is happening here? (laughs) (laughs) And then I start having this back problem pretty quick. I think I was still battling it in indoor. I had already begun. Yeah. I would, I think February I started battling another back issue and we milked it. And that was part of the reason I didn't do much. And we milk it through 8,000 points. Same as indoor got me qualified. Didn't do another decathlon. The whole outdoor season, I'm battling uh, this back thing. It doesn't seem to get better, and but I qualified for outdoor. I took, I'm going to say it was it was at least a month that I did not do a single trek practice leading up to outdoor nationals. Oh wow! It, it was it was at least a month, and the theory it was probably from the conference meet 
all the way up to the national meet that I did not do a single track workout. And the theory was that I was going to be better, a little bit out of shape with a healthy back than I would be extremely in shape, but with a bum back. Oh, absolutely. I, I say that all the time. Healthy is faster than hurt. Yeah. So what did we do? We we removed myself from all the track stuff to try to get that sucker healed. Had you had an MRI or anything to see exactly what was the deal with the back? Or were you just kind of like, fingers crossed, let's not, let's just plug our ears and go keep going? So I did have an MRI and it ended up being the same, basically the same exact thing that I had my sophomore year of high school that ended my season. Ugh. Almost the same thing, different side, but it was a stress fracture. So you take a wire and you start bending it. It gets hot and it breaks. Well, I was at that hot stage right before it breaks, Okay, which is <laughs> tough because it wasn't broke. You know, I was not in a position where I was going to hurt myself. It was a hot. It was not broke. So I wasn't going to hurt myself by competing on it. And so we thought maybe a month we can get you good enough. We'll put a back brace on you and you can make it through the national meet. Well, it uh, did not make it. 100 meter dash went okay. It was a out of shape 100 meter dash, but still <laughs> I say it was out of shape. It was my second fastest 100 I've ever ran. Right. Faster than my 8000 point meet. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. Cuz I knew it was slower than Nationals the year before, but I didn't realize yep. it was yeah. It was. I'm fairly certain it, it was it was right at it or plus or minus a tenth, I would say. I don't it was really close. So I say mediocre, but it was pretty good. Long jump, struggled. The back was starting to catch. That was the one thing that really flared it up a lot. So it was starting to go downhill on the back. I still managed a pretty good 24-foot jump, Okay, I think, which is still very, very respectable for the decathlon guys. Like, I was still up there. Right, still on track to be top eight. But it wasn't 100 V long jump. Right, because you've gone over 25, yeah. That was something that I was supposed to be at the the top couple. Right. So I was doing okay, but I wasn't doing 100 V 8,000 point meet. But I was still in the runnings. I had not thrown myself out yet. And then we moved the shot put, and the back's getting worse and worse. Mm. I stumble through. I get a mark. Wasn't that bad a mark. Pretty good shot put throw. I wasn't the greatest shot putter to begin with. I was happy. It was better than last year at Nationals. Okay. And then I get the high jump, and it was so bad just doing a run-through that I had to pull out. And that was the hardest decision I've ever made in track and field to stop. It was so hard. I know that's such a common thing in the decathlon and it's, you know, from us, you know, I mean, I, of course I was in Wichita when you were out there and I, and I saw that you had withdrawn and I just kind of knew it was a smart decision and knew you wouldn't do it unless you, unless you had to, or unless it was a smart move. But yeah, I, I guess it's, you, you forget that you actually had to live that moment and make that decision with your, with your coaches. And yeah, I can't imagine how hard that must've been. Yeah. Now I think that was the only multi I never finished. Mm. Which is, yeah, which is rare too. Usually you kind of will kind of constantly like, ah, this one's not going well. I'll just kind of reset and try again later. There's so many people that will do a decathlon and they'll go up through high jump and not run the 400 and then they'll never finish. I think Rainbolt has said that more people have started a decathlon than people have finished a decathlon. So I, I was known for finishing the decathlons. Too many people give up in the decathlon before it's over. 
I mean, it's 10 events. One event does not control your decathlon. It's right. 10 events right. to control. It was tough. Like, I didn't want to not finish one because I had never not finished one before. Oh, right. Just kind of a yeah, point of pride. Yeah. And I think that is freaking hard. But that's how it ended. And uh, we f- we forget a lot of times that, you know, our, our, our lives aren't movies. <laughs> you no. don't always get to end with, you know, them carrying you off on their shoulders. And uh, you still had an amazing career. And I know you've mentioned that it was, uh, you know, you accomplished more than you ever could have possibly imagined. And it does sound like you are retired now, I'm guessing. <laughs> I am. I'm retired now. I'm doing a track meet in two weeks are you <laughs> sunflower state games oh yeah 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 my wife has convinced me to do a couple events so i'm gonna go <laughs> i have some fun i'm gonna just you know all i'm doing is having fun i'm okay i've gone to several of those sunflower state meets and it's right. not a competitive atmosphere it's just to have fun so it's a cool i'm kind of excited to to go to a track meet and just kind of have fun and not really care what happens. Now, do you think your wife is secretly hoping that this will light the fire and you'll <laughs> want to train for 2020? Oh, yeah. I'd have to ask you her. <laughs> that, well, I got some, I have some comments on that. Um, she's hard to read on where she feels about me training. It's happened on several occasions where she said, are you sure you don't want to train? Like somewhere deep and down, deep down, she wants me to still train. She just wants me to compete with her. I've gone to that meet with her for four or five years. And, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so beat up by the end of the track season. I don't do that meet. I'm right. like, I gotta get healthy for the fall. But she's nuts. She goes and does it all, and I go there and I watch. And I've always watched. And she's just now that I'm done, I have no excuse not <laughs> to go and have some fun with her. So. Right. I'm excited to go have some fun. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, 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 and you know, long term, we know we joke about we everyone's, you know, I'm sure you've had a year of people teasing you about 2020. And I would imagine from your wife's standpoint, it's it's both. She she's proud and excited of what you could potentially accomplish. But then she's also probably very protective of you and knows what you've gone through with the injuries and things. And that's probably hard, hard to see you suffer through as well. So I, I support whatever your, your decision is. And I'm sure your wife does as well. But we're always going to keep teasing you until. <laughs> yeah, I know. It'll happen for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just uh, just, just just general thoughts then, maybe on what what you know, just what is track and field, just in general, kind of you know, brought to your life, and just kind of how would you just kind of I don't know, just uh, the uh, senior senior banquet kind of little rundown of how you would summarize what you got out of track and field at Wichita State. Track and field. Man, there's so like if I start thinking about when I started track and field and where when I ended track and field, basically ten years almost, uh, yeah, eleven years would be oh wow right something like that. And so so much happened, and then I, I think it got me through to where I like I'm just so happy of where I am today in life. And then I think that track and field kind of put me in a path to get to where I am today. It got me through college, you know, financed my college, basically. Um, I met my wife. That is definitely significant. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't have not wanted to meet her. Um, it taught me how to work really, really hard and how to work hard even when you're not on top. 
yeah. and you can't see you can't see the point of when you will be on top. You know, when I came out of elbow surgery, I was at the very bottom. And at that point afterward, when the rehab started, I caught a vision of even though I was in a place I didn't want to be, I still knew what was possible. And I think that's I can take that into all my life lessons going forward, just of where I'm at, where I can be and to be okay with where I'm at at the moment, but to keep working hard because I want to keep achieving those goals. Yeah, and and, uh, exactly. And I just think that's what it comes down to with sports in general. And I think some people who, you know, aren't naturally gifted in sports will kind of easily dismiss it and just see it as, you know, a bunch of meatheads, you know, messing around (laughs) and not doing anything important. But uh, I would say for myself as well that, and I mean, I didn't have anywhere near your success, but the success I had as a distance runner gave me more confidence than I ever got from any academic success because I did well in school, high school anyway. And (laughs) but it just it but it didn't do anything for my confidence. But the athletic accomplishments and then the and then the work, I mean, I worked harder at running than I mean, even high school. So I was I was high school valedictorian, but I worked harder at running. And that was my main focus. School was just kind of secondary to sports for me. And I did not grow up in an athletic family. So I, again, I just kind of, it just, it is, it did things for me in my life. Kind of like you're saying that I, I wasn't going to get anywhere else and yeah. you can't put a price on that. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and shift gears here. We, uh, we did, uh, uh, use a lot of time there and that is totally fine. I, I, I loved hearing that story from your perspective. Uh, again, I could recount it all from, from my perspective, <laughs> but, uh, let's shift to, travel which is another focus of this podcast and so i know you and gavin on your honeymoon had a neat trip but like in general um have you been a big traveler growing up did your family travel growing up or was this something you just kind of just dabbled in recently travel up to that trip was the tri-state area i'm gonna say i mean we got to colorado we got to oklahoma we got to arkansas maybe but we never really went farther than that. I don't know if you consider that travel, really. It was vacation. It was, you know, your spring break vacation. Okay, yeah, yeah. But we did the same we're thing. We're, we're going to a spot. Yeah, okay. And we did the same thing every year. It was, we went rafting in Oklahoma. We went snow skiing in Colorado. It was a vacation. I don't, I don't think I considered it travel. Okay. So this Canada trip, we discussed for a while, and our decision was... Australia or Canada, <laughs> two opposites there. Right. And for the week we had for the honeymoon, it made more sense to go to Canada. You could get there in a day. Right. And you could immediately be there. You know, a plane trip would have been forever, taken up most of our time. Absolutely. Going to Australia. You're, lo- you're losing two or three days total just on yeah. travel going yeah. to Australia. Right. Yeah. So we go, <laughs> we go to Canada and we explore the mountains and the national parks and everything like that. And we're on the plane ride back. We're talking about going back. And Gavin mentions every single week, when are we going back to Canada? Can we go <laughs> back to Canada? And so I think that that may have sparked some travel in us Okay. to see that. And I think what sparked it was the land, not necessarily like the people, like, I think if we're going to travel somewhere, we're going to travel to places without people. Okay. You like seeing kind of that, that untamed wilderness kind of stuff. The yeah. untouched, 
Yes, the untouched land, I think, is really, really cool to me. Yeah, so, yeah, and of course, it's funny, too, that she's immediately, I want to go back to the place where we experienced that, and it's like, well, there's there's tons of other places that are going to have similar, yeah. similar kind of things. So, where do you, so I know you went to, like, Banff. Did you, where, where all did you go? Uh, basically Banff. Okay. Uh, that's a national, that's a national park there. We touched into the one above that and the one to the side, but it was basically, we drove through it. Okay. But man, you say, well, we've already been there and there's so many other places to go, but we didn't even touch anything oh, in that true, place. True. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you go I to a national park and there's, uh, I mean, all the ones I've been to here, it's like just one day has gone by like going to two high, two quick hikes and like, oh, the whole day's gone. Yeah. We have already decided we did, we did a quickest trip, hit as much, as much stuff as we possibly could in a week. And I, I think there's one spot specifically that we'll go back and we'll spend a whole week there if we go back again. Some of you probably just did one day of this time around. Yeah, we did one day. We did a two hour horseback ride in like the, the hills before the mountains. Mm. It, it was we love the horse. We've been getting into horses, riding horseback all the time. And like it was so cool to be on a horse in the middle of nowhere. No one can see you way out there. And I that was just that blew our minds. They do week long trips where you'll go several miles one direction for ha- the half of the week. And then you'll turn around and come back. Oh, wow. The whole time. They even have the same trips on horseback where you go on an elk hunt. And so you get to run into elk and stuff. And I think. If we go back to Canada, that's something we're gonna do. Okay. We're gonna spend a whole week in the middle of the woods. Okay, you see, and that, and that, see, I, I'm more of a, I'm kind of a wuss where I will hike all day, but that I want to be back like in a bed, in a shower, <laughs> yeah, at, at night. And the idea of carrying all my gear, and of course, if you have a horse, I guess that's different. But the idea of carrying yeah. my bedroll and and all my food and and, and just carrying the camping gear on the hike that just doesn't interest me but uh, i guess having a horse would be a little different and uh no it's i need to get up to banff and i've I've been to glacier which is kind of its sister park in a lot of ways on the american side and i think it goes up into canada as well and then banff is north of that still but yeah that's awesome so right now your plans would just be to get back to canada as soon as possible uh canada's on the list we'd also we've talked about the montana wyoming which is, you know, kind of the same thing way out in the national parks yeah, and yeah. things like that. There's something about the simplicity of the untouched land, so to speak, that really intrigues us to get away from people to where people don't typically see is really interesting to us. Right. And and the it's well the the national parks can be a double-edged sword there cuz they're the best spots for that except for a lot of them have the crowds, and I'm guessing Banff being so far north and in Canada probably doesn't have the crowds of, say, a Yellowstone or a Yosemite. Well, it, so Banff had some crowds, but it was at, if you Google Banff, you're going to find one lake that's crystal clear blue turquoise water. And so where that picture's taken, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people, but we would take hikes, and it's so easy to get away from that. Okay, Like, they have such, like little locations that people come take their pictures and then they leave. But you can go in there and then we took a like a two mile hike up into a mountain and we came into a lake that I'm guessing, I don't know, maybe a a thousand people is not very many, but I bet a thousand people a year see that. It was Constellation Lakes is what it was. And we came up on the lake and you can't even see the lake. 
the water's so clear, it looks like trees. It reflects oh the trees gosh. off of it. And like until you're on top of that water, you can't see it. It's that crystal clear, no waves, and you're in the mountain. And that that was just that just blew our minds. <laughs> okay. I gotta I gotta go to Banff. I gotta go to Banff. Um, yeah, I don't know if you know, I just got back from uh, a trip where I actually went to nine national parks over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I had been following a little bit. Okay, okay. But yeah, you are kind of right. So as, as, you know, as much as I'd complain like, oh man, I'm in the middle of all these crowds. And then, like you said, well, you still find the right spot. You go on a hike. So I'm at Yellowstone where, I mean, it was just ridiculous on how much the traffic will get built up if there's animals on the side of the road that everybody stops to take pictures of. Like, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> but then I get to a hike and yeah, sure enough. And maybe it's not for long, but I'm a, I'm hiking in Yellowstone, and yeah, I'm about a mile a mile from the trailhead, and I can just kind of stand there, and there's no one around. And hey, maybe I pass some people on the trail here and there, but you get those moments, even at a crowded park like that, where you're all by yourself. You just have to get a little off the beaten path. Yeah, yeah, and it but it doesn't take much. Like a mile's not very far. Right, right. There's not a sound to be heard. Right. You got to remember, most people are lazy. So if you're going to go and be a little unlazy, the people just drop off. <laughs> yeah. And I think athletics helps you. We stay pretty restless. You know, you don't just stop being active. You know, we've kept right, pretty active. Right. And, that, and uh, that well, was of course, fun. Uh, Gavin specifically with her career. But uh, and, and, and that's, you know, <laughs> and that, but that's, the, that's the advice I'll give everyone because, you know, people assume I still run all the time. It's like I've hardly ran at all the last two years. But I still just understand the idea of not getting out of shape. I think it's super hard. I tell everybody this. Don't get out of shape. I know it's easier said than done, but yeah. it's so much easier to stay, just plateau, just stay fit, and then you don't have to ever, like, dig yourself back out of this massive, you know, mountain you've buried yourself under as far as uh, un- unfitness. Of course, your wife being uh, as proactive as, as she is, <laughs> you, you're not going to have a chance to get uh, no, out, out of not shape. not a chance at all. But, uh, but it is tough though too because you you compete at such a high level for so long that because you can't maintain that level anymore because it's just too mentally and physically exhausting for any human to do you know at, you know uh, ad infinitum ooh good good word me but uh, <laughs> that you end up doing what well, you go to the other extreme and it's like well I'm just gonna do nothing then and uh, so you got to be okay with that balance of like nope I'm just gonna hit this threshold. It's going to be enough work that it keeps me engaged. It keeps me fit. And no, I'm not going to be, you know, elite, elite fitness, uh, but I'm going to be a healthy, a healthy, fit human and then active. And just, yeah, that's the big thing too. It's just, just being so active. And again, it's obviously, you know, you, you know me well enough. It's something that I've long prided myself (laughs) on. And, and, but I've always said though, too, I'm frankly, it still baffles me that I'm in such a minority to, to be my age and still just kind of generally fit i mean that's because i'm in the midwest <laughs> and it's less common in the midwest than it is if i were to get <laughs> on the west coast maybe but i don't understand why it's such a minority i i don't i don't do anything special i don't think i work that hard i just kind of do it consistently and i'm kind of always constantly aware of my health and fitness without obsessing about it so i don't see how it's so hard for everybody to figure out well you were a high level athlete i mean you you went to college in an athlete in sports and i think you get the taste of being in such good shape and what that does for your life like life is easier when you're in shape you can yeah. <laughs> there's people that will go years without jogging to the end of the street right 
and I guess too because my my nothing my I say I do nothing. It's like well yeah by comparison to what I've done in the past. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's true. Gavin always makes the point of like being relatively in shape and healthy expands your world so much. You can do so much. You're not limited. Your body does not limit you, and you can go do so many more things. You go on the couple mile hikes. Which to some people is very, very, it's impossible. Right, right. And yeah, I, I, just, I just can't imagine. Yeah, it's just, and, and, and people will give you crap too. Like, oh, well, you don't eat junk food and stuff. You're not enjoying your life. It's like, I'm enjoying my life more because oh, of the way I, I, I approach it. And, yeah. I, and, I, and also too, I, I have a big sweet tooth and I eat snacks and, <laughs> and cookies and stuff all the time. But... They're the exception, not the rule, and I'm just kind of constantly aware of what's best for my overall health, again, without obsessing about it, because I think you can go too far the other way, too, and where you're neurotic about it, and then you're not enjoying it either, because you're too obsessive about the fitness itself and not how your quality of life. It can control your life yes. at a point. Yes, And you want it to augment, not control. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, shift once again to, I don't think you and I have ever really talked too much about uh, TV and movies, so let me just ask the general <laughs> question of, like, what are, what, are, what are some of your favorite movies or TV shows you've been watching recently, Hunter? Uh, Richie, I'm stuck on The Office. That's fine. I, I, I'm a big Office fan. I'm stuck. <laughs> on, on just, just watching it on Netflix? Yes, so I, I'm going to say... Until about a year ago, I refused to watch it. the The humor didn't catch it. I, I couldn't do it. Okay. And the gamma's like, "Okay, you got to try this. You got to try this. Let's make this through a season." And now I think we've watched it all the way through three or four times. <laughs> and all the inside jokes I come up with at work and stuff in the office. <laughs> and then I'll say them, and no one gets them. And I'm oh, like, no. Ugh. So I'm stuck on the office. Okay, no, that, that's uh, that's kind of adorable, actually, and and I get it too. So the because the the first few episodes of the U.S. version are a little rough, and they're trying too much. I don't know if you've seen the British version, but I've tried. Okay, so they're trying too much to be the British version, and so like yeah. the, the like the pilot of the American version, Steve Carell's character is so much of an ass you you can't even stand to watch him. <laughs> Yeah, and now in the British show they lean into that because I think the British uh, British sense of humor that's kind of more what they kind of like they almost like thrive on that awkwardness I guess. Whereas in the American version they dialed him way back and made him adorably goofy and dumb as opposed yeah. to making yeah. him a jackass as much. And yeah. I think that that helped help it survive the American audience. Yeah, I've I've, I've definitely been all the way through the office uh, just the just the one time. But uh, <laughs> there's something too about watching a show you're just kind of comfortable with and being able to just throw it on and yeah, it's stress free. Yes. I like yes. when I when I watch TV, I like it to be stress free. You okay. know, I don't like to follow along. <laughs> there's some TV shows if you miss an episode you can't go on like it's not the same right it demands a lot from you as a viewer yeah yeah so i guess it's a big mental break i don't have to think about anything and that's i guess that's what i look for in television is just a break okay and i get that and i know i've definitely have not confused but oh exhausted some people when they kind of like because i'm into like the heavy like oscar movies and stuff so Uh i actually i actually want that like huge emotional and intellectual engagement from my entertainment and yeah. but, I, but i also get that and uh, that that's not how everybody approaches it and they're kind of just turned off by that stuff but and, and hey that's why there's kind of something something for everybody there 
And I, I mean, I and I like both. I mean, I like I like The Office too. But so okay, so let me go ahead and ask the question. I did give you this question ahead of time, but yeah. and and I don't know if you ever read my book, but it, it is a reference to my book where there's a, a the kids find a time traveling transporting boombox that takes them anytime, any place in world history. So if you had that boombox, Hunter, where where would you go? Uh, I've thought about this over the week, and it it's been a tough question, harder than I thought it would be. And I was thinking about today, trying to figure out what I was going to say. And I'm going, I would like to go back to a time where the world, we'll say the United States specifically, was not impacted by humans yet. Oh, I like it. Where the animals were what was there. I'm in the middle of a podcast. I listen to a podcast called Meat Eater, which is a guy that is really... He's got a TV show too, but he's really big about shooting the animal and then processing the whole animal and taking everything he can get out of the animal. And he talks a lot about conservation and stuff like animals are so good at self-regulating and it would be so like, I want to see what the, what those animals like in that natural untouched atmosphere, I think would be really cool. Yeah, I'm just picturing the millions of bison on the prairie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And to who I'd bring, I'd have to do, Stephen Rinella is the guy that does this podcast, and I'd have to take him just so he can explain everything to me. (laughs) Take an expert with you, that's a good idea, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like what does this mean? And what have we done that this cannot happen anymore? And now wildlife has gone up and down and we've actually saved so many animals. Yes, people forget hunt, hunting can actually help sustain a population and that and a lot of people oh, don't realize yeah. that, right. It's extremely crucial. But like, for example, the elk, the elk almost went bye-bye, but the humans brought it back and now it's in such a healthy numbers now. But I guess this goes back to how me and Gavin found the wilderness in the untouched land in Mm, Canada. And mm -hmm. that may have what drove me into this podcast, but just the, such the natural untouched land. I want to, that'd be cool to see. He has this joke. uh, What's the difference between a Creek and a Crick? (laughs) And he says, if you can see a tire in the water, it's a Crick. (laughs) If it's not, it's a Creek. But I, I think about all the, cricks or creeks i've been in and i can pretty much say i've seen a tire in each and every one. <laughs> yeah yeah because everywhere we go we can see something that we've done to the planet that we're there in some way how we've affected it yeah you're right with with north america especially you think like even before the native americans came over on the land bridge and i, and I forget the estimates are like you know 10 to fifty thousand years ago on that but yeah before that the animals were all here the prairie was all here. The Grand Canyon yeah. was here. Like all that stuff was here. And it was just this garden with no humans yeah. interfering with yeah. anything. And you're right. That would be fascinating to uh, get a chance to see. That's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> I just think of this kind of goes against it. But like imagine if you could fly a drone over these herds of animals and stuff that are just naturally roaming around. I just think that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Of course, now in theory, this gets into like I like always. I've always liked this idea too. So it'll never actually happen. But the idea is so obviously, light leaves the surface of the Earth at the speed of light. And if you were a light year away from the Earth 
and had a powerful enough telescope and were looking at the Earth, the light you were receiving would be a year ago. So you'd be looking <laughs> a year to the past. So yes, if you could get 10,000 light years away from the Earth and point a telescope that was strong enough to see the surface, yeah. you would be seeing the Earth 10,000 years ago. So that would be the way we could actually get a look at what you're talking about. <laughs> that light that light but, leaving the surface is out there. We just got to be able to go and, and get it. <laughs> you have to travel faster than the speed of light. That's the trick. <laughs> yeah, true. Like you have to go faster than that to get back in. Which is impossible. Which is impossible. We'd have to get into the whole wormhole thing. But uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, then hopefully then some other... Uh, alien civilization that is that far away down is us. yes is recording that and then we'll bring it to us someday be like hey i got I, I took some pics of you you want me to yeah share them yeah. on google drive or something <laughs> okay and again i i think we can go ahead and wrap up there and, and we can keep talking for a second here but i'll go ahead and uh sign off the podcast thanks hunter it was uh it was good to catch up and nice to hear your your version of <laughs> of your your track career so, yeah, we'll have to talk again sometime after you guys get back to Canada. We may do a whole episode <laughs> focusing on, on Canada there. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you later. 